Lord God, thank you for being here with us. I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to every single one of us. Fill this place with your presence. May we learn from you and touch our hearts. I pray this in your name. Amen. Do you ever find yourself being worried about the future? About things that will happen? Maybe it's the political situation that's worrying you. Maybe it's just in general the unrest that's going on in our world right now. Or maybe it's more personal. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's thinking about am I going to have enough for my retirement or just paying the next mortgage. Or some who have just graduated maybe are worried about what is college going to be like. Or if you have children and they have grown up, you're kind of worried about what are they doing in their life. And you see that maybe some of the choices they have been making are not exactly what you would like them to make. And so you're worried. Where is life going to take them? Or maybe someone in your family is sick or you are sick, and you're thinking, where is that going to go? Or you struggle with loneliness, and you're thinking, well, what if I lose the people I love? Or what if I never have a person to love? What if I never get married? What if I never have children? And we sometimes look at the things that we have now and we kind of judge the future based on that. And yeah, we get concerned. And there are so many things in our lives that we can just spend time thinking about, aren't there? Well, in the story that we're going to look at today, we find Abram in Genesis chapter 15 worried. He is exactly where many of us are sometimes, and when we keep thinking about all that's going to happen, we get overwhelmed, and that's where he is at. He is overwhelmed with worry. And really, it kind of seems like it doesn't exactly make sense that he's worried because he has just come back from a battle. And in this battle, he went out with a small group of men who he armed, and they went after five kings who came from Mesopotamia and just looted everything in Canaan, took it with them, including Lot, and Abram just picks up everything, goes after them, and brings it all back. With a small group of men, impossible. This was definitely God working through him and in his life. And he saw this huge miracle of God. And then he meets Methuselah. So he's on the spiritual high, and you would think he'd be doing really well. But what happens is that whenever we're doing really well and God does something amazing in our lives, Satan swoops right in. He knows exactly how to get us to discourage us. So that the next day, we forget already what God has done. And so he's worried now well, what am I going to do? Because these guys are not just going to sit pretty where they're at. They know where I'm at, and I am their new target, their new enemy. So they are just going to reinforce their armies, and they will come right back here. But 
God promised that this land is going to be where I'm supposed to live. But is that really the smart thing to do right now? Because they're going to come right here. And as he's thinking about this, things spiral. It happens in our minds. And he starts thinking, well, the other thing God promised me is that I was going to have a kid. I will have a child. And where is that? That was 20 years ago that God promised me. And I still don't have one. And so as he's brooding and thinking about all this, completely discouraged. What's amazing about our God is that he always knows what's going on. And so he comes to Abram at the beginning of chapter 15. And it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your magen. I am your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. God comes with this beautiful promise where he tells him, I am everything that you need, Abram. I am your shield. I am here for you. But you know what happens? Abram is so down in all of his thoughts and everything is just, he's so discouraged that he can't even grasp what God is telling him. And so He says, "Uh, Lord God, what will you give me? Because right now you are not enough. I need more. Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Abram already has it figured out. He's been thinking about this for so long that he has come up with a solution. He says, well, God, you're taking a really long time. So how about I have a great idea? You take Eliezer, one of my servants. And it was not uncommon for this to happen because childless couples would regularly adopt someone to be their heir because they had to give their household to someone. And so he says, I have an idea. How about we do this? But God says, no, no, no. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he takes him, and he says, come with me, Abram. And he takes him outside, and it's dark. And he says, look at the stars. Look at the sky. And the sky is filled with stars. And I love God's sense of humor because now he says, Abram, I want you to count these stars. If you can, that is. And obviously, Abram is speechless doesn't say anything, and God says, well, that's how many descendants you will have. And now we have this beautiful line that says, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. It is not his righteousness that God counted. It's Jesus' righteousness that covered him, that covers us. But it is because he believed the promise that God gave him. But because God knows that Abram isn't exactly done with all of his doubts, he keeps going and talking to Abram. And he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And instead of Abram saying, thank you, God, he says, well, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And God says, okay, 
I want you to do something. Now the vision is over and Abram actually has to do something. God sends him out and he tells him, you need to go bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old ram, a three-year-old goat, and a turtle dove and a pigeon. As soon as God tells him what to do and where to go, Abram knows what's going on. He knows that God is going to make a covenant with him because this is how they did it. And he told him to cut them in half. Okay. Soon as Abram heard that, he knew this is what's going on. Now the ancient covenant, this is how it was made. It was between two parties who would make an agreement. Sometimes it was between two parties who were of the same social status, but most of the time it was one who was of a higher position and one who was of a lower position. And the one that was a servant or the vassal promised something to the overlord. So the overlords would have, let's say, lots of land, whereas the servants didn't really have much. So the servant, in order for him to live on that overlord's land, would promise to the overlord work, that he would be his servant for this many years or, or do this much. And they would make a covenant. But this was not just a paperwork thing where they just kind of agreed if someone broke it, then, well, you pay money or you just kind of run off. No, this was a serious thing. And we have a record of an ancient Near Eastern covenant that was made between the Assyrian king Ashur-Nirari V and a vassal of his called Mati'ilu. So what they did was they would take the animals, they would cut them in half, would put the one half on this side, the other on the other. And then cut the other animal, put one on this side and one on the other, the next one. In this, in the story of Abram, it says the birds were not split because they were too small. The rest of the animals were cut in half and kind of laid out in a path. And what happened is the vassal would then walk through this path while the overlord gave them an oath to swear to. And so in this record that we have, this is what the king was saying to the vassal. He said, this head is not the head of the ram, but the head of Mati'ilu. If Mati'ilu violates the oath, as the head of this ram is struck off, so will the head of Mati'ilu be struck off. And the vassal would then respond, so let it be done. This was serious business. If you entered into a covenant, that meant that as a vassal, you could lose your head. You would lose your life. If you break this covenant, that was it for you. Now, Abram knows that that is exactly what he's supposed to do because this is how they did covenants. And he wants to hear God tell him that, yes, I will give you this land. I promise you this land. So he does it. We don't have, it doesn't say here that he cut all the animals and then he walked through because it doesn't have to. That is exactly what they did with an ancient covenant. And so Abram laid out the animals, the halves of the animals, and then he walked through them. And now he's waiting because he's waiting for God to do his part and to tell him the things that he's promising. And he's waiting and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And it says that 
The vultures came down on the carcasses and Abram drove them away. It took a while. And it's getting darker and darker and darker. And yet, God hasn't spoken yet. And then it says that it got to the point where Adam fell asleep. He went into, uh, where Abram went into a deep sleep. And it says, and behold, horror and great darkness fell on him. This was not just regular sleep. This was a dream from God. And now God speaks to him and says, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you'll go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here. In other words, God is telling him, it's going to take time. This land will be yours, and it will belong to the descendants, but it is not going to be right now. It is not going to be today. You will die, and it will happen 400 years later, where God will bring these, your descendants back. And we know as history happened that this was talking about them being in Egypt being oppressed in Egypt. But God promises that just like Abram is sleeping through this experience, God says, I will take them out. And they won't have to do anything because I will fight for them. And now, Abram would have thought, okay, this is it. God has made a covenant with me. It's done. But it's not done. Now God does something that completely surprises Abram. He was not expecting this. It says, It came to pass when it was pitch black. Suddenly, there appeared a smoking pot and a burning torch on the scene. What is the smoking pot and a burning torch? Well, if we look at the symbolism of smoke and fire, throughout the Bible, we realize that smoke and fire always happen whenever God's presence is there. On Mount Sinai, when he comes down, the, the mountain is full of smoke and lightning and thunder and fire. We, we think of the burning bush or the pillar of smoke during the day and the pillar of fire at night. That was God leading the Israelites. Or even in the New Testament, the fires of the tongues of fire on the disciples God is present. And so right here, we're told that God appears on the scene. God himself comes to the scene. Dr. Davidson, who wrote an article on this, uh, on this topic, writes that the two divine light sources are not just God, but they are the Father and the Son. He says, because in the narratives recorded in Genesis and Exodus, we find the angel of the Lord who's both sent from Yahweh and yet says of himself, I am Yahweh. And so he says that means that there are two beings. Likewise, both the Father and Son appeared at Mount Sinai, and we can conclude that both Father and Son were involved in the covenant-making ceremony with Abraham. So God the Father and God the Son are present but now what does God do? It says that 
the smoking pot and the burning torch passed between those pieces. The reason why this was so crazy for Abram to see is because there is no overlord ever in any covenant that ever walked through those pieces. It was always supposed to be the servant. But God does something completely different. He never intended for Abram to be the one to walk through the pieces. Because no matter how much Abram promised faithfulness and obedience and how great he was going to be, God knew it wasn't really going to happen, right? Because we have issues with that, don't we? We say, God, we're going to be just faithful to you. We will love you. You're amazing. And then the next day, we're like, uh, God, do you really exist? And so God says, I am going to do this myself. I am going to be the one who will be faithful to the point of death. And I love the way Dr. Davidson um, writes that, that God is promising through. He says, divinity is saying, in effect, if we break our promise of the covenant, then let the Godhead be dismembered, let divinity be ripped from divinity as these pieces. And even more amazing to me is that right afterwards it says, on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The word for making a covenant is karat. But it doesn't, we translate it as make a covenant because that's what makes sense to us. But it doesn't mean to make a covenant. Karat means to cut a covenant. Because that's what they did. They cut the animals, right? But this word also has another meaning. The word karat also means the death penalty in Pentateuch, in the five books of Moses throughout. And it means that it's really talking about the second death because the death penalty meant there was no future afterwards. So the second death is what this is, what this is talking about here. And so it connects the cutting off and the second death. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is saying, I am willing to be cut myself for you so that you do not have to ever go through the second death. Because I will do it myself. And when it comes to it, I will make it happen. And he did. When he was stretched out on the cross and he hung there, he died with a broken heart because all of the sins of the world were on him. And he felt like he was abandoned by God, like he was separated from God. And so this exact thing happened. Divinity was ripped from divinity, and that's what broke his heart. Jesus gave his life, and he already promised that he would do it in the 15th chapter of Genesis. I believe that it wasn't until Abram saw what God was willing to do and that he himself promised to be the one who would die, who would be dismembered, 
that it wasn't until that point that he finally understood what God was talking about when he came to him at the beginning and says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. The word for shield comes from the word magan, which means to deliver. And so from the start, God is telling him the reason why you should never be afraid is because I am your deliverer. And because I am your deliverer and you have salvation through me, I will also be with you now. So any worries, you can put on me. There's a song that I love that's written by Bethel Music. And I want to read you some of the lines of the song. The first time I heard the song, I couldn't stop listening to it. And I kept listening to it over and over and over. I just put it on repeat. I think I listened to it about 20 times that day. Just because I love the words. And it starts out by saying, You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. And then he keep, they keep repeating, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I love the part that says, I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. Because that's what I imagine that shield to be. It is not just a shield that's just on one side. I imagine it to be all around me. Right? When God says, don't be afraid because I am your shield, it's a shield that surrounds me. Where Jesus, the arms of the Father are around me. And so I am safe. And today, God wants you to know as well that he is your shield. You do not have to fear. You do not have to worry. All we need to do is put it all in God's hands. I want to give you some time to respond to this message, and I want you to just talk to God, whatever it is that's on your mind. So I'll give you a few seconds to pray on your own, and then I'll end with a prayer. There is a, in the connection card, I was in the bulletin, there is a prayer that is wrote out, and if maybe you haven't prayed in a while, or you're just not sure what words to use, you can pray this prayer that's, that's on here, the prayer of response. But you can also just pray your own. So let me give you a few seconds so that you can pray, and then I'll end with prayer. Let's bow our heads.
Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we do not have to be afraid because you are our shield. Thank you for being faithful to death. Thank you that you never abandon. And that all we need to do is hold on to that shield because you are there for us. Help us to throw all of our fears and worries on you and put them in your hands and to trust in you that you are that shield because you have promised salvation. You have done that for us. So now you're here for us today and every day. Thank you for being here. I pray this in your name. Amen.